Blog Talk Radio. This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. That's 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to make things better. Hey there. Uh, welcome to the program. Um, allergy season here up in the Northeast, and your host is suffering. So if I sound nasal today, you'll understand why. Hopefully this will pass soon. But I was reading the paper this morning that this has been a particularly ferocious uh, allergy season, and I can, uh, I'm firsthand testimony to that. It's been a particularly ferocious allergy season. But I'm glad you're joining in, even if I am nasal today. Um, How's it going with your challenging kid? Got a good handle on your kid's lagging skills? Got the right lenses on? Because it sure is different to view your kid through the prism of lagging skills than it is to view your kid through the prism of attention-seeking, coercive, manipulative, limit-testing, unmotivated, button-pushing. Those are very different lenses. If you think your kid is pushing your buttons, you're going to respond in a certain way. If you uh, understand that your kid is lacking crucial cognitive skills and that those skills are being demanded in particular situations, and those situations are the ones in which your child is having the most difficulty, as you may know if you've listened in before or are familiar with the model. Those are called unsolved problems. Well, that's going to take you in a completely different direction. Then you're in the business of teaching skills and solving problems, not in the business of giving your kid the incentive to do well or coming up with new creative punishments so that he'll do what you want, so that he'll have skills he doesn't have, so that the problems that are setting the stage for his challenging behaviors are solved but unilaterally and in a way that makes him exhibit his worst behavior. I think I'd rather do collaborative problem solving. I think I'd rather talk about collaborative problem solving. So as always, these are your 45 minutes. Um, I do this program every week to make sure you're getting the support you need implementing the collaborative problem-solving approach in your home. Um, So this is your chance to call in to uh, ask about some things that may not be going so well in your efforts at doing Plan B. Ask about... um, as many people do by email, we're going to, of course, callers always take priority on this program. If we don't get any, then I just uh, respond to the emails that I've received. Uh, and, boy, I'm getting a lot of them. Once again, I want to apologize. I am going to respond to all of them personally. It's just been 
a crazy two or three weeks. I'm looking forward to having these the craziness end and to being able to answer more email than I've been able to lately, but I'm actually going to talk about some email today if we don't have any callers. Um, so if you're running into trouble with Plan B, if you're having trouble drilling for information or collaborating with your kid on finding solutions to problems that are going to work for both of you, um, if you're having trouble getting your significant other or other adult caregivers, perhaps the grandparents on board with Plan B, uh, perhaps getting the folks at school on board with Plan B, call in if you feel like it, comment, ask questions, get the support you need, or just listen to what's going on with others who are going on who are uh, using the collaborative problem-solving approach. Once again, the call-in number, 347-994-2981. If you're not the type to call in, just send a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.lives with a v livesinthebalance.org. Here's a letter, an email. I just received and started reading your book, The Explosive Child, to hopefully get some insight on dealing with my six-and-a-half-year-old daughter. I've not had her officially diagnosed, but my issue with her is her extreme reactions to situations. For example, if I'm making school luncheons and she asks where her library book is and I don't drop everything to help her find it, she has a huge meltdown. She isn't, however, violent, throwing things or using bad language towards me or her siblings. She just gets very frustrated and often breaks down into tears when something like this happens. She also has started this almost nonstop fidgeting with her hair. I view her more as an overly anxious child, although she does fine in school at this point. In your book, it seems that most of the children you talk about are violent. They spit, etc. My daughter doesn't do these things, and I'm wondering if I'm on the wrong track with her, if, or if your book is simply pointing out some of the more extreme examples. Great questions. Um, thank you for emailing. Uh, good that you picked up the explosive child to get some insight on dealing with your six-and-a-half-year-old daughter. I'm hoping that you have uh, made your way through the book and have that insight that you were seeking. Uh, the insight that you're probably reading about is that challenging kids lack crucial cognitive skills in the general domains of flexibility, adaptability, frustration tolerance, and problem-solving. Those lagging skills are especially problematic for them when they're being demanded by the environment. And that occurs under specific conditions called unsolved problems. So as you've already heard me say as part of this program, first important mission is to make sure you're wearing the right lenses. It's less a matter of what your kid is doing in response to unsolved problems and more what those unsolved, and prob unsolved problems are. You can tell that being nasal is making it hard for me to talk as well, although this has not been a problem for me lately, maybe just now. You'll also read, if you've kept reading, that a diagnosis is not the most important part, not even close. A diagnosis gives you some indication of what your kid is doing in response to unsolved problems, but doesn't give you information about why. Now you know why lagging skills, and demands for those skills. In other words, unsolved problems. So you've also helped us, you've also identified for us an unsolved problem, a predictable one. This is the nice thing about unsolved problems. They tend to be highly predictable. 
and one of them is that she uh, wants you to drop everything and help her immediately, especially when you're making school lunches. Uh, what you'll find if you continue reading The Explosive Child is that if you've identified these unsolved problems and your daughter may have a large pile of unsolved problems, may not have a particularly large pile of unsolved problems, but the trick is to identify what they are, and the next trick is to solve those problems. Now you have a few options. You can solve them unilaterally through imposition of adult will. Uh, as you know, if you've kept reading, that's called Plan A. Or you could solve them collaboratively. Plan B, I recommend Plan B. Some of the unsolved problems in the pile of unsolved problems, you're not going to want to work on at all right now because you work, can't work on everything at once. Some things you're going to have to table for now so that you and your kid, your daughter, are more available to work on the things that remain. Collaborative problem solving consists of three ingredients. First, inquiring with your daughter about her concern or perspective on the unsolved problem you want to be talking to her about, preferably proactively, not emergently. The best time to do plan B is not when she's in the midst of crying again because she wants you to drop everything and help her. That's bad timing. Good timing. Since we know that is likely to occur again since it's already occurred, we can talk with your daughter. You can talk with your daughter about that proactively. You can plan for plan B, and that's the preferred timing. As I've been saying a lot lately, 99.9% .9 of the Plan Bs you ought to be doing should be proactive since 99.9% .9 of the challenging episodes that you find yourself in the midst of were actually predictable to begin with. But only if you've identified your kid's lagging skills when those skills are being demanded, in other words, unsolved problems. Uh, I'm glad, by the way, that your daughter isn't ever violent. Um, or using bad language. Uh, we want to get busy solving her problems, or those things could be in her future. We want to get busy teaching her skills so that those are things you'd never see. She sounds, well, um, I don't think this is in the explosive child. Maybe it is. I can't remember. But I've been talking a lot lately about the spectrum of looking bad, the spectrum of things kids do when the demands being placed upon them exceed their capacity to respond adaptively. And your daughter, as you seem to realize, is at the easy end of the spectrum of looking bad. She's a crier. My nine-year-old son is a crier. Um, I consider him to be at the easy end of the spectrum of looking bad. Now you know what easy means, by the way. Easy means that your kid, when the demands being placed upon her exceed her capacity to respond adaptively, does something at the easy end of the spectrum. She's a crier. Now, um, that's less destructive than having a hitter or kicker or destroyer or runner or cutter. These are other things that are on the spectrum of looking bad. I'm glad your daughter is not that far down the spectrum, but that doesn't mean that you don't have problems to solve. It doesn't mean you don't have skills that need to be taught. So let's get this show on the road. Three ingredients, and you've read about them in The Explosive Child. Not surprising, by the way, that she does fine in school, not at home. Challenging behaviors occur under certain conditions. I know I keep repeating this, but the conditions are 
when the demands being placed upon a kid exceed the kid's capacity to respond adaptively. Now, I've got a few explanations for why your daughter isn't quite so challenging at school. Number one, the demands being placed upon her may not be exceeding her capacity to respond adaptively at school, although it's hard to imagine. They're not asking her to wait at school. It's hard to imagine delaying, delay of gratification or just waiting wouldn't be demanded at school. So it could be that the embarrassment factor is kicking in for your daughter. Um, could be that she's keeping herself very tightly wrapped under conditions that would cause her great embarrassment if she was to lose it at school. But at home, the embarrassment factor isn't in play. And that's why she's crying at home and not at school. So it doesn't trouble me that she's not violent. doesn't trouble me that she's not spitting. It concerns me that she's doing things on the spectrum of looking bad under highly predictable conditions. That's a shame, and you're in a great position to help her. I don't think you're on the wrong track at all. Um, my book, The Explosive Child, does point out some of the more extreme examples, but uh, there's things at the less extreme end of the spectrum of looking bad, whining, pouting, sulking, withdrawing, crying, that are still byproducts of lagging skills and unsolved problems. All ways in which kids communicate to us that they don't have the skills to deal with the demands that are being placed upon them at a given moment. So, I hope you've kept reading, and I hope you start implementing what you've read, and I hope things get better. And you should feel free to either email me again or call into the program and let us know how it's going, or if you run into trouble, well, that's what this program's for, to... Um, Call in and let's see if we can help you through it. Cool, eh? Here's another one. My 14-year-old daughter has been chronically late for school, has trouble getting out of bed in the morning, and has been getting worse. I don't think it said daughter. My 14-year-old. I hope I didn't say daughter. Uh, it's a he. His school year has consisted of a barrage of incident referrals contributing to an accumulated 40-plus hours of missed instruction time due to classroom removals for various disruptive behaviors, typically on the mild side of what I would consider disruptive. At this point, it takes all his energy not to get in trouble, and at least one class, he's not participating, but not now getting into trouble. As I write this, I realize that he's probably exhausted from the energy he's putting into not getting into trouble. He was suspended for a day two weeks ago for saying a word which he says he didn't say to his best friend, and things have gotten much worse since then. Before going to school, he often sits pensively in my car and says, I really don't want to be there. Advice? Well, first of all, I'm really sorry that your son and you find yourself in this situation. Um, I wouldn't want to get out of bed in the morning and go into a situation that I felt wasn't going well for me. I wouldn't want to do it. Some kids do it anyways, but your son has been in trouble getting out of bed in the morning, and sounds like you have a pretty good sense about why. Now, that doesn't get us off the hook, though, for inquiring about that in the empathy step of Plan B. We're still on the hook. We may have theories, but my theory that no wonder he doesn't want to get out of bed, 
he doesn't feel very good about going to school. In fact, he's even saying that, I really don't want to be there. But that doesn't mean that there's a direct connection between I don't want to be there and difficulty getting out of bed in the morning. One would assume so, but I don't trust my assumptions when I... Why, why trust your assumptions when you could gather the information you're looking for in the empathy step of Plan B? So in terms of my advice, it sounds like there's much work to be done to help make school a place your son is able to feel successful. But from your email, I've only been reading, uh, hearing about the byproducts of the fact that he's not being successful. He's getting suspended. He doesn't want to be there. Um, he's not participating. Boy, the writing is on the wall, it seems to me, that, which once again, I don't want to trust my assumptions. Who knows? I, I'd want to, luckily, we don't have to trust our assumptions. We don't have to intuit these things. We can ask. We can ask. We can inquire. We can drill for information in the empathy step and really get a clear understanding about why your son is having trouble getting out of bed in the morning. It, it could be a bunch of things. I've worked with many kids who had trouble getting out of bed in the morning, and it is definitely true that not wanting to be in that building called school where we are feeling unsuccessful can certainly be coming into play. But so could a lot of other things. So let's not feel any burden to intuit this or to um, be geniuses in figuring out what's getting in your son's way. Let's ask. Then, and drill well. Drill for information well. I'm often telling people don't... Um, if it's your first attempt at plan B, or sometimes even your fifth or tenth, go into plan B with only that first step in mind, the empathy step. Uh, drill well. Really get a good handle on what's getting in your son's way. You're curious. You really want to know. Remember that it's drilling, not grilling. Remember that it's listening, not lessening. You're not teaching a lesson, well, actually you're not teaching any lessons at any point throughout plan B, certainly not in the empathy step. That's a good way to get a kid to stop talking to you. We want your son talking to you about why he's having trouble getting out of bed in the morning and possibly on gathering the details on what it is about school that's not working for him. There's my advice. Then move on to the define the problem step. Get your concern or perspective on the same unsolved problem entered into consideration. And then brainstorm solutions. Now this is a slightly tricky one because uh, there's other adults who are involved here, the folks at school. So there may be a need for some collaborative problem solving at school as well. I met with a group of parents yesterday in Topsom, Maine, just a little north of Portland and Freeport. Parents who are starting a uh, group so as to collaborate better with schools and to uh, have their voices heard, which is outstanding. Even more outstanding is that the whole thing is being encouraged by the uh, director of special education in the school system I was visiting with yesterday. Boy, if only could it be that way everywhere. And we don't, you know, the, the email suggests that the relationship with the school is not a particularly collaborative one, but um, that doesn't mean it couldn't become collaborative. On the other hand, I met with uh, a mom yesterday whose school system isn't being collaborative at all. 
um, and things have become litigious. Um, that's a shame. Always a shame when things become litigious, when uh, one of the two parties won't or can't collaborate. Another one. My son has very poor language skills and practically no vocabulary to express his feelings. Uh, frustration is expressed physically, hitting, yelling, throwing things. He was recently suspended from school for throwing his medical kit and pushing the teacher. His response to most why questions is, I don't care or never mind. Seems like he doesn't want to resolve problems, but prefers to dismiss them. When trying to solve problems, he becomes upset and says, never mind, or I don't care. He may lash out by yelling and throwing things. He prefers to stay in his fantasy world at home and school. So there are a way we can help him improve his language and vocabulary skills so that he can express his frustrations without lashing out. Yes. That's the good news. Yes. Um, I don't know that uh, I would come to the conclusion that he doesn't want to resolve problems but prefers to dismiss them. It sounds like he's lacking some skills crucial to participating in the problem-solving process. And based on what information we have, um, my first assumption is that the skills that your son is lacking are in the communication skill domain. Um, plan B, as I usually describe it, does require language processing and communication skills. And um, But you can do plan B without having it be strongly oriented around language. And you're onto something already. You're saying, how can I help him improve his language and vocabulary skills so they can express his frustrations without lashing out? You could do it in pictures. You could make a list of the things that most commonly frustrate your son. Well, you don't have to do it in pictures. You can put that list on an index card, and if he starts getting upset, you could read from the list and try to figure out what it is. You could also depict, if, if having you read them out loud when he's already upset is not ideal, you could do it in pictures, so that all he has to do is point at a picture that depicts what it is that he's frustrated about. If you got really ambitious, you could take that set of pictures and make it the front cover of a what we might call a problem-solving binder and create sections in the binder that correspond to each frustration and have pictures of potential solutions in each of those sections so that your son learns to not only point at the picture of that depicts what's frustrating him at a given moment, but also learns to leaf through the binder to point to a solution that he feels would address the problem. But, of course, the form of Plan B you want to be doing most often is proactive Plan B. And... Um, not being able to observe directly where your son runs into trouble. I'm not in a great position to respond to the question, why is he? Well, truth is, I don't know if you're doing proactive plan B. Uh, you know, that's always a first, uh, a, a stopping, the first, one of the first places where I try to figure out why plan B may not be going so well. Um, if you're doing it emergently, then um, 
if your child is lacking communication skills, then emergency plan B when it's already hot is making it even harder for your kid. So my first pass would be, are you trying to solve problems proactively or emergently? can't tell you how many kids I've worked with who didn't have an easy time communicating their concerns when um, they were already in the heat of the moment, but were able to talk about problems and potential solutions when Plan B was done proactively under much calmer circumstances. So that would be one question that I would have. Um, let's make a list of unsolved problems and let's try talking about them proactively. And the advantage to that is now we've removed the heat and so we can probably safely assume that it's not heat that's making it hard for your son to participate in Plan B. It's something about perhaps the communication skill demands of Plan B. But now we'd have to pay really close attention to where it is in Plan B that things are running aground for your son. Is it that you may be using too many words? Is it that he's not understanding what you're saying but doesn't have the communication skills to let you know that? Is it that he doesn't understand the question but doesn't have the communication skills to let you know that? Um, lots of things that could be hard about Plan B for a kid with communication skill delays, but my first piece of advice is let's make absolutely certain you're doing Plan B proactively just to make sure that it's not mostly heat that's getting in the way. And then we may have actually have to help your son develop a rudimentary vocabulary for letting you know what his concerns are. Pictures might come in handy again there. A rote vocabulary could come, into hand, come, in, come in handy there as well. Uh, something's the matter. Uh, it's too hot. It's too cold. I'm frustrated. Your son may need that. Those pictures could be used proactively so that you're pointing at the problem that you'd like to talk about that day proactively. So as you can tell, besides giving you advice on being proactive, well, I got a little more advice. Be really specific about the unsolved problem that you're talking with your son about. Lots of kids are going to say, I don't know or I don't care if they're not exactly sure what it is that you're asking for information about. Hope that's helpful. Here's another letter, uh, email. I have a five-year-old daughter who started kindergarten this year. Unfortunately, prior to kindergarten, she was asked to be removed from three daycares. Kindergarten started off fairly well, but has now since escalated to the point of suspensions from school due to violent behavior problems. She seems to escalate into violent behavior when she doesn't get her way. She's asked to stop doing something. She screams and yells. She doesn't like any food and constantly doesn't like what there is to eat for dinner. She sees a therapist on a regular basis. My husband and I, as well as the school, are at our wit's end. I am currently reading your book, Lost at School, Good, and find it very interesting as she fits into this category. I am very lost as to how to proceed to help her before I lose her. She's a beautiful and smart child. 
I bet. And I would hate for her not to be able to utilize her brains the way they should because we're doing wrong by her. Ah, here we go. The school is now saying we treated her like a princess for too long. I guess that would be blaming us for her behavior. (laughs) Yes, it would be. Any guidance or uh, advice you could give would be so greatly appreciated. All right, so I, you know, uh, you listen to this program often enough, you get pretty much the same advice from me. First of all, um, suspending a kid from kindergarten is asinine. Just asinine. What, what's the point of that? I understand that if a child is violent, we need to figure out why. I understand that we need to do something about it and understand it so that the violence doesn't continue. But suspension doesn't do that. Suspending a kid from kindergarten is absolutely asinine and usually an indication that we don't understand the kid's challenging behavior and we're not sure what to do about it. By the way, I would say the, well, I think suspension is asinine no matter what age, but I think it is especially asinine to be suspending a kindergartner. But at any point in development, if a kid is being suspended from school, it's a clear sign that we don't understand what's getting in the kid's way yet and we're not exactly sure what to do about it. And the idea that suspension would help us with any of those things is equally asinine. Asinine. Okay, I'll stop saying the word. Okay, so she seems to escalate into violent behavior when she doesn't get her way. Now, that's going to be a little too vague. We want to download the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems from the paperwork section of the Lives in the Balance website, and we want to figure out the specific conditions, the predictable conditions, in which your daughter is not getting her way. The specific conditions under which you're saying no, the specific conditions in which you're asking her to stop doing something. And what you're trying to do here is create a list of the unsolved problems that are setting in motion your daughter's challenging behavior. Okay, so now I know that she's violent. You're not very specific about what you mean by that, but I also know that she's a screamer and a yeller. Uh, Other unsolved problems, food choices, doesn't like a lot of foods, constantly doesn't want to eat what's for supper. That's usually an indication that a kid isn't particularly happy with what's been made. Now, this is interesting. She sees a therapist on a regular basis. Well, I'm interested. What does the therapist think are her lagging skills and unsolved problems? Is the therapist viewing your daughter's behavior through the prism of lagging skills and unsolved problems? And how are the adults who are working, who living, who live with and are at kindergarten with your daughter going to learn about her lagging skills and unsolved problems and how to help solve those problems if the person, the only person seeing the therapist is your daughter. This is collaborative problem solving. This is uh, all of us need to get good at this. And it's no wonder you're at your wit's end. I'm hoping the book lost its school. The definition of wit's end is that no one's helped you understand yet. I'm hoping Lost at School will help you with that. Um, we need to identify your daughter's lagging skills so that everybody around her understands why, under certain conditions, 
see, this is the good part. You're also telling me that she is um, beautiful and smart. And I'm betting that she's not challenging every second of every waking hour. She's challenging sometimes under some conditions in some situations. We need to figure out what those are. And I'm sitting here in Newton, Massachusetts, guaranteeing you that she's challenging in conditions where the demands being placed upon her have exceeded her capacity to respond adaptively. Let's figure out what those specific conditions or unsolved problems are, and let's get to work solving them collaboratively. Your daughter, your uh, email makes clear that your daughter is apparently a plan A non-responder. Unilateral problem solving, adults imposing their will on her, uh, sets your daughter up to be at her worst. Of course, if you've heard me speak, you know that I'm always asking who gets more unilateral problem solving, plan A, thrown at them than any other type of kid. The challenging ones. That's because in ways that are, at this point, incomprehensible to me, now that we know what causes challenging behavior and challenging kids, incomprehensible that we would think that plan A, unilateral problem solving, would be what these kids need from us. It's not what these kids need from us. They need us to first figure out what their lagging skills are so we have the right lenses on, then figure out what, are un what their unsolved problems are so we are organized and we can prioritize and we know what we're working on right now, what problems we're trying to solve. And they need us to get good at plan B so that problems are being solved in a way that doesn't set challenging behavior in motion like plan A does. And over time, the skills these kids are lacking will be taught. Plan B does that. Plan A does not. I hope that Lost at School has helped you not be at your wit's end. But as you are now hearing, the ingredients that I think contribute to your not being at your wit's end are wearing the right lenses, lagging skills, identifying these specific unsolved problems that cause your daughter to be escalated and cause other people to think that it's a good idea to suspend her. And let's start solving those problems collaboratively. And I truly do wish you and your daughter the best. And I share your hope that if you can make sure that the people who are working with your daughter are wearing the right lenses and intervening in the right way, that she won't get lost at school. I think we're probably going to have time for one more. This is a long one, so I'm going to uh, read it, uh, read parts of it. Uh, I've started reading your book, Lost at School, and every example is my nine-year-old son. I put him in a new school this year. Um, we left the previous school because my son wasn't challenged, and the approach to discipline was harsh. For example, my son was sent to the principal for writing in cursive in second grade. Uh, we don't teach cursive until third grade. And he might develop bad habits. And he would often be sent to the office and would sit there for two hours at a time. So I switched. It's been horrible. The principal since October uh, has said several times in front of our son that he is emotionally disturbed. Uh, he is extremely strong-willed, intense, persistent, and independent. 
The principal also says he is seriously disturbed, needs professional help. And the principal overrode our approval for our son to be in an independent counseling program at the school because she wants him to be tested to prove her point. Uh, we, the parents, have been labeled uncooperative. We've refused the testing that they want to do. We know our kid. We, when pressured, uh, he fights really hard, and he's shut down at school, won't do his classroom. Kids pick on him, and he reacts inappropriately. Shakes a fist in their face, tells them to shut up, etc., which gets him to the principal where she does a number on him. Anyway, I read your book and already had success last night. Why isn't he doing his work in class? He says he's always in the back, and he can't see the whiteboard. I'm a teacher, too, and I know this can be a problem. So he's often confused. He said he can see all his friends are the ones who pick on him, and they always turn around to talk to him. He responds he's in trouble. He asked if he could be moved to the front. Wow. Sounds like a problem-solving kid to me. I sent the info about loss at school to the school psychologist to give to the teacher. The teacher sighs heavily whenever I request anything. And I said I wanted to do this with everybody on board. My concern is that they won't. They think we're clueless parents who are in denial about our child. I'm afraid I'm going to be met with a brick wall when I give the folks at Plan B your book. Wow. What a mess. Um, well, if you've been listening to the program or any, or any of the prior ones, you know that uh, sitting for two hours at a time in a principal's office doesn't teach any lagging skills, doesn't solve any problems. Uh, telling a kid that he's emotionally disturbed needs professional help, doesn't solve any problems or teach any lagging skills. Um, and yet, um, we're going to have to collaborate with the folks at school. We have no choice. I mean, you could always switch schools again, but my bet, unless you get really lucky, is that... Um, your son, who you're agreeing is intense, um, independent, um, I think he's going to have trouble with people who have certain ideas about the fact that kids should say how high when we say jump. Um, we're going to have to collaborate with these people. I don't know if it's these people you got to collaborate with, but I mean, maybe there's another school where you'd have an easier time collaborating. Um, but I don't know if the folks at school are willing to collaborate. Sounds like if people are sighing whenever you request anything, um, that's not necessarily a very promising sign. And I don't know how you've gone about trying to collaborate with them. So number one, I don't know if they are the collaborating type. I don't know if they have the expertise to figure out what's going on with your son. I don't know if they're going to be receptive if you sit down with them and bring a copy of the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems with you to a meeting. It does sound like you may have somebody who... 
you're sending things to the school psychologist. All you're looking for is one person in the building who could take the collaborative problem-solving ball and run with it. One person, we're hoping, and a school psychologist is as good as anybody. I think the general topic of discussion, though, is how come we're having trouble working together? In my experience, difficulty working together often traces back to the failure to achieve a consensus on what lenses we should be wearing in viewing a kid. We've failed to achieve a consensus on what unsolved problems are reliably and predictably setting in motion the kid's challenging behavior. We've jumped instead, before we have a consensus on those things, we've jumped to solutions. And now we are in a power struggle. It's their solutions against yours. When in collaborative problem solving, when you're collaborating, um, it's not a power struggle. It's win-win. Power struggles are win-lose. Win-win. What's the definition of winning in collaborative problem solving? Both parties got their concerns addressed. That's the definition of winning in collaborative problem solving. Um, so long as we are uh, duking it out over solutions, so long as we don't have a consensus on lenses and unsolved problems, I fear the uh, power struggle will continue and your son will continue to suffer. So the topic of discussion perhaps to have with this key person in the school, and a school psychologist is an ideal person, to be doing this um, ideal. So is a principal or an assistant principal, sometimes a classroom teacher, often a guidance counselor, but school psychologist ideally positioned, I hope, to help people collaborate and work together so that your son doesn't keep paying the price. hate to see that. Do I have time for one more letter? There's only about two minutes left in the program. Let me see if I have a uh, really short one. And the answer is no. What I'm hoping and trying to organize through Lives in the Balance is to create mechanisms for parents and schools to collaborate better. Uh, information will be forthcoming. You'll want to sign up for the email newsletter of Lives in the Balance, you can just go to the Lives in the Balance website, go to the home page, click on the flag that's waving there in the bottom in the left-hand corner, bottom left-hand corner. Sign up for the uh, email, and um, you'll be kept appraised, not only of uh, efforts on the part of Lives in the Balance to help parents and uh, educators communicate and collaborate with each other, but also... Um, you'll be, you can become involved in some of the advocacy work that Lives in the Balance is going to be doing for challenging kids and their adult caregivers. All coming down the pike just as soon as allergy season ends. In the meantime, I think it's probably about time to call it quits for today. Uh, thanks for joining into the program. I hope you found it to be useful. And um, I hope you'll join in next week when we do this all over again. Talk to you then.